When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and welcome to Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast where I share practical, simple, and scientific ways to help you take back control of your mental health, improve your mood and memory, reduce anxiety and worry, and help you live your happiest and healthiest life. Thank you once again for tuning in. If you like my podcast and enjoy today's episode, please consider leaving a five-star review and subscribing. In this episode, I chat with Max Lugavier, a filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of the international sensation and New York Times bestseller, Genius Foods, Become Smarter, Happier, and More Productive While Protecting Your Brain for Life. He's also the host of a number one iTunes health podcast, The Genius Life. Max appears regularly on The Dr. Oz Show, The Rachel Ray Show, and The Doctors. He is an internationally sought-after speaker and has given talks at South by Southwest, TEDx, the New York Academy of Sciences, the Biohacker Summit in Stockholm, Sweden, and many others. In today's podcast, we discuss his latest book, The Genius Life, how to heal your mind, strengthen your body, and become extraordinary. We also discuss surprising sources of toxic industrial chemicals in our homes that are disrupting our hormones, brain function, metabolism, and how to reduce exposure to these. How to use temperature to increase fat burning, boost cognition, and reduce risk of neurodegenerative diseases. How to heal your relationship with food. And he shares some great tips on how to reduce stress and anxiety in your life. Max, I'm so, so honored to have you on my podcast and really excited to dive into your new book and the information that you have to share. So interesting and so important. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you, Dr. Leaf. What an honor it is to be here with you. Oh, thank you. And call me Caroline. <laughs> Caroline. Gotcha. Okay. So Max, before we dive into so many of the questions, can you share a little bit more about yourself that's not in your bio? Why do you do what you do? What keeps you motivated? How did you get where you are today? Yeah, I did not go the traditional route. What happened with me was I started college as a pre-medical student. I've always been interested in health and nutrition science, but ultimately halfway through university, I realized a love of creativity and storytelling. Thankfully, I didn't have parents that pressured me too much to go through that route and become a doctor or a lawyer or anything like that. They basically just encouraged me to follow my bliss, like that Joseph Campbell quote. And so I did that not because I had lost interest in medicine, but I just became interested in creativity and storytelling and art and specifically filmmaking and music in college. And so I ended up double majoring in documentary filmmaking and psychology. And although that seems like kind of a weird combination, it led to me mm -hmm. actually- Makes sense. Yeah. The best filmmaking speaks to your psychology on a deep level, right? But I didn't actually want to become a like a screenwriter or anything like that. I actually wanted to tell real stories 
almost as a, a kind of journalist, but do it in a way that was kind of adventurous and kind of a little bit more cheeky than I think the way that most people at the time were thinking about journalists and journalism. And that led to me getting a job working for six years for a TV network in the United States called Current TV, where I was sort of like a I was an investigative journalist for this network, but in my early 20s, and I got to tell stories that were relevant to the lives of young people. And I did that for six years. It was amazing. That's so different to what you're doing now. <laughs> well, it's similar in the sense that as a journalist, you're kind of taught to investigate a topic, to be a skeptic, to recognize what is a credible source versus what is perhaps not so much of a credible source. And it actually did set me up for what would ultimately become an investigation that I would continue for the next 10 years and what I probably will continue for the rest of my life. And that is into how to live more healthily in the 21st century and to avert age-related chronic diseases. And I was motivated by the fact that my mother at a young age developed dementia. Mm, I saw that. Terrible. Yeah, it's just, it was, it's horrible. I mean, many people struggle with this. My mom at the age of 58 was diagnosed with a neurodegenerative condition and it was traumatic as it would be for anybody. But ultimately what I decided to do was to become an independent investigator to try to understand why this would have happened to her at such a young age, despite not having any prior family history of any kind of neurodegenerative disease. And also what could be done in my own life with my own diet to lower my risk now that I had a risk factor in my mother to try to stack the odds in my favor so that I would never have to endure something like what she did. Wow, that's quite something. Well, that really, that's between the two, those two things you got into writing the books that you've written. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. They always say that the best way to learn is to teach. And I began this investigation by digging into the primary literature because of my, what was a lifelong passion for health science. I knew where to look for good data. And so I began immediately going into PubMed and looking for answers, looking at observational studies, looking what the risk factors might be for dementia, looking at clinical trials and interventional studies. And the more that I would learn, the more I would feel compelled to share what I was learning on social media. And because I had a I was a professional communicator, like I had for six years communicated very sensitive topics at times to a huge audience on TV. I knew how to communicate these ideas, even though I didn't have a background as a scientist. I knew that language was very important. And so the way that I would communicate my learnings, I saw that within no time, I started to galvanize a bit of a following and that people were just deriving pretty profound value out of the things that I was sharing. and. That kind of snowballed in the US. There's a TV show called The Dr. Oz Show. And before long, they came knocking. They had me on and they were just blown away by my ability to communicate nutrition science and these ideas and to make it really accessible and approachable and achievable for average people. Ultimately, what, that, what happened was that paved the way for a book deal. And when I got the book deal, that was not a responsibility that I took lightly. I made it my full-time job to work on the book and I made it as scientifically bulletproof as I possibly could. And that book went on to become an international bestseller. So I'm very humbled and grateful. And the sequel to my first book, it's called The Genius Life, and I couldn't be more excited. I'm so excited for you as well. What a great story. So Max, can you share a little bit about this book that's just been released, this latest one, The Genius Life? 
Yeah. So the genius life really is all of the most actionable and relevant tips that you can take that are going to lead to big health wins in terms of how you feel as well as your health down the road. And I do cover nutrition in this book. Nutrition is just one part of the story. However, in the first chapter, for example, I give the most actionable takeaways that are going to really give you the most bang for your buck in terms of optimizing your body composition, helping to achieve sustainable fat loss without having to count calories or become obsessed with macros like carbs and fat, while also helping you have a better relationship with food, which is something that I think many people struggle with today. Well, I just have to, at that point, just reiterate what you've just, or ask you to even repeat what you've just said, because I think people have become so stuck in calories and carbs and macros and micros and, as you say, food relationship issues. So you really get into that in the first part of your book. Can you speak a little bit more about that and then tell us the rest of the book? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you look at our ancestors, or even if you look at some of the few remaining hunter-gatherers that there are throughout the world, what do you see? You see people with bodies that anybody would describe as athletic. They all have great bodies. And are they sitting around counting calories? They're not. I mean, they're eating minimally processed foods, and they're able to achieve effortless good health without these artifacts that we become obsessed with. And there was actually a study that came out that found that people who regularly, I think it was men predominantly, that regularly use one of these calorie counting apps tend to be prone to symptoms of disordered eating. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's not an area where I think people need to go in order to achieve better bodies, to lose fat and to gain muscle. I think just with a few simple principles, anybody is going to benefit and see a change in both in the mirror and in their health. Mm, that's a very, very good point you've made. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important. I don't want to count calories. I want to eat until I'm satiated. I want to eat until I'm full. And I don't want to obsess too much about carbs and and fat. Some people will argue that the low-carb diet is the best diet. Others will argue that the low-fat diet is the best diet. The best diet that you could adhere to is one that is built primarily around minimally processed foods. I agree with you totally. I've written a book about food and that's why I say there's only one rule for eating and that's eat real food mindfully. I love that. And I'm glad that you said mindfully because there's actually a study that I cite in the book. I implore people to be more mindful about their food and to be more present with their food. Mm, I saw that in your book. I was very excited when I saw that. There's a brand new study published in the journal Physiology and Behavior. And basically, <laughs> the title of the study is Smartphone Use While Eating Increases Calorie Ingestion. Yes, I'm familiar with that study. And people can't believe it. You actually will put on weight and you'll have worse digestion if your cell phone is near you when you're eating. Exactly. Or reading material or if you're watching TV while you're eating. So this is just another powerful tip, just like an insight. Like I feel like once that light bulb goes on in people's heads, they never forget it. And that's because they realize that their behavior, that they're not necessarily operating 100% of the time in accordance with free will. We're influenced in so many ways by the external environment. And I talk about all the different ways in the genius life, but that's just one example where if you're sitting down at a meal we all know that portion sizes are increasing today, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're sitting down at a meal and you're using your phone or you're even reading the latest gossip rag, you're going to consume 15% more calories than if you were just to be more present with your food. And that's, what is that? That's basically a spare tire. That is, that's going to accumulate as well, isn't it? Over, over, you do that every day for a few days, that's going to have an impact. Exactly. And we do know that 
the obesity crisis is no joke. I mean, by the year 2030, one in two adults in the US at least, I don't know about elsewhere around the world, but one in two adults in the United States are going to be obese, not just overweight, but obese. If there's one mineral you should be worried about not getting enough of, it's magnesium. Magnesium is the body's master mineral and can really help aid sleep, relaxation, and can help improve mood and overall mental health. That's why I'm so excited about what my friends over at BioOptimizers have created. Their research team recently formulated what I believe is the ultimate magnesium supplement. BioOptimizers calls this product Magnesium Breakthrough, and they're running a special promotion for you at magbreakthrough.com forward slash leaf. You can get an additional 10% off from the normal package price with the coupon code DRLEAF10. The link and offer details will be in the show notes. That is a problem, and, and they're trying to say it's a disease. Meanwhile, we've got to look at it's a lifestyle issue. It's, it's something we've got to look, as you say, we've got to start looking around at what we're doing, how we're living our lives, the choices we're making about is your cell phone in front of you when you're eating, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And look, I'm not perfect. I frequently will look at my cell phone, so I'm not excluding myself from this advice. But I also take a lot of steps in my life that I get to take that others perhaps don't. I'm working out vigorously throughout the day. I'm minding my body's circadian rhythms. I'm regularly experiencing variation in temperature, which I talk about in the book and how beneficial that can be for your health. Okay, tackle those. Which one do you want to start with? The movement one, moving regularly during the day? Yeah, I think that's an important place to start because a lot of people today feel pressure, especially looking around on Instagram at people with obscenely airbrushed bodies. And it's kind of difficult like to be able to parse out and to know what bodies you're seeing on Instagram are natural and what are enhanced either digitally or with compounds like steroids and things like that in men. It's just very hard to know. At the end of the day, what I try to drive home for people is that you can be in good shape and not have a gym membership at all. I do think that having a gym membership is useful. It's a great way to motivate you and to be able to advance in your training. So I'm not, I have a gym membership, but one of the types of physical activity that I talk about in my book is non-exercise physical activity. <laughs> You've now got everyone's attention, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. So it's basically, it's anything from chasing your cat around the living room to doing chores around the house, to tending to your garden, to carrying groceries, to even fidgeting. These are all non-exercise physical activities. So these are different than when we go to the gym and we do concentrated, deliberate forms of exercise. And this is not just sitting sedentary on the couch. It's basically anything other than those two activities. And what we know is that the accumulation of calories burned by these activities over the course of the day can add up to anywhere between 300 and 1,000 calories. That's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, what this essentially is, it's called NEAT or non-exercise activity. Mm, I saw that in your book. I had tagged that page to ask you about that. Great. Go ahead. It's NEAT. I mean, doing the dishes, shoveling snow, playing with your kids. These activities can account for about half of an active individual's daily energy expenditure. Anywhere between 10 to 15 times more energy is used doing these activities in total than sitting in front of your television. So whatever that means in your life, just being less sedentary. Being sedentary is stagnation. And we know in nature that when things stagnate, usually that does not lead to good things. And that NEAT stands for Non-Exercise Activity Thermogenesis. That's what NEAT stands for. Correct. Yes. 
And you have a list in your book of things like dancing, walking the dog, cleaning the house, the things that you've just been, even typing, folding the laundry. There you go. Standing at a, at a desk instead of sitting, carrying the groceries. I love that. Anything other than just sitting on your couch, like a lump on a log, as my mom used to say, getting up off your butt and taking a walk around the block every half an hour of sedentary time, walking around the office, taking the stairs whenever you have the opportunity. It's a massive sink for energy in a time defined in part by energy toxicity. We're just consuming too much too much energy, too many calories, too much carbs, too much fat, too many processed foods. These non-exercise physical activities are a great way to dissipate some of that excess energy. And in fact, excess energy actually makes us increase the amount of movements that we do as well. So when we're overfed, we tend to fidget more. And when we're underfed, we tend to fidget less, which is actually very interesting. So if you find yourself very fidgety, you might be in a state where you're consuming too many calories, which is not a foolproof litmus test, but it can actually be a sign that you're just eating too much. That's a very good sign as well because that edginess, I, I like the way you've said that it's a sign because that edginess and the reference to energy has got a lot to do with our mental health, doesn't it? Because if you think of it, you've got energies limited in a day and if you are putting the wrong kind of food in your body, it is the wrong kind of energy. So it drains from our actual energy we need for our brain to function. And that can also lead to this fidgety kind of thing. That's just how I understand and teach it. How do you feel about eating and the exercise and everything you've been saying so far and link that back to depression, anxiety, mental health, feeling, managing your emotions? Yeah, that's such a good question. The relationship between NEAT and anxiety is not an area that I've investigated, but it would stand to reason that by eating too much, you might actually trigger an anxious episode. I've spoken to a lot of psychiatrists who are actively engaged in the field of nutritional psychiatry, which is sort of this niche area. And what they all seem to recommend is that by keeping your blood sugar stable throughout the day, you can help manage your anxiety if you're prone to anxiety. So, and also avoiding caffeine and things like that. But if you are eating too much and it makes you a little bit more fidgety, maybe that could trigger anxiety for some people. You know, I'm not sure, but that's a very worthy hypothesis worth further investigation for sure. And then I was just going to go into exercise and how we know that exercise is medicine for the brain, especially where mental health is concerned. The whole lactate thing, you write about lactate in your book, and that's, that's great. Um, you're the second person I've heard talk about lactate just recently in the way that you have in terms of mental health and so on, which is very interesting. Lactate surfs in on, on the same transporters that ketones use to enter the brain. And anything that we can do to reduce the brain's dependence on glucose, I think is a good thing, especially in light of the data suggesting that certain brains have difficulty properly utilizing glucose as a fuel substrate. So all that is to say that physical exercise or physical activity of any sort is going to be beneficial to the brain. I'm a huge advocate of resistance training. I might have a little bit of a bias there just because I enjoy it so much. I don't enjoy cardio as much, although I will tell you that the data now in support of resistance training as a means of reducing symptoms of anxiety is growing very robust. There have been a number of meta-analyses published recently where, I mean, basically the core takeaway is that whatever exercise modality you most enjoy doing, there seems to be a, a strong benefit for brain health, brain function, as well as mental health. Fantastic. That's incredible. You also talk about the benefits of cold showers for mental and physical health. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So that's another form of exercise that I talk a bit about, and that is thermal exercise. So we have these ancient thermoregulatory mechanisms hardwired into our biology that we've allowed to collect dust in the modern world because we all live in a state of chronic climate control that might actually occur to the detriment of 
our health. And that's something that I argue in the book. It's sort of like a stressor in the sense that exercise is a stressor when our bodies get a little chilly and also at the other end of the thermal spectrum when we get a little hot. And so, yeah, I think that by activating these mechanisms that really are there to either warm us up or cool us down, I think that's a really powerful modality with which we can actually boost our health. So there have been a few studies where they find that people who expose themselves to just 60 degrees Fahrenheit, I don't know what the conversion is to Celsius, but 60 degrees Fahrenheit for 10 days, which is, it's kind of chilly, but it's, it's not freezing. Without making any other changes to their diets or lifestyles, patients that regularly, for just about 10 days, see a boost in their insulin sensitivity by about 40%. That's amazing. Yeah, that's an improvement that would be as good as what could be expected from long-term exercise. And that's, again, without making any changes to diet or lifestyle, patients with type 2 diabetes seeing an improvement in insulin sensitivity, which insulin resistance is the basically the hallmark of the condition. Yeah. If you love listening to my podcasts and want to take your mental health healing journey to the next level, then I want to invite you to my 2020 Mental Health Solutions Summit, December 3rd through 5th in Dallas, Texas. The core focus of this conference is to give you simple, practical, applicable, scalable, and scientific solutions to help you take back control of your mental health and to help others and to make impactful changes in your community. You will learn how to manage the day-to-day stressors of life, as well as those acute stressors that blindside us. Our goal is to address your most pressing mental health concerns, help you find answers, and equip you with the knowledge and the resources that you need to make the change from living a life of barely surviving to one where you are thriving. There will be sessions on addiction recovery, sex and mental health, how to help your child become stress resilient and manage anxiety, how to detox your brain, nutrition tips to boost mental and physical health, and so much more. Early bird tickets are on sale now, so hurry and get yours today before prices increase on March 31st. We also have limited VIP tickets that include special private Q&A sessions with me and meet and greets with myself, and there are discounts available for groups. For more information and to register today, visit drleafconference.com. The link will also be in the show notes. Wow, that's amazing. And you also talk about saunas. Oh my God, I'm a huge fan of saunas. <laughs> so am I. I have, I have an infrared sauna at my house. And I tell you, when I'm not traveling, I'm in that thing every day. That's amazing. Yeah, I love it. I love whether it's infrared, whether it's hot finish sauna. I'm just such a big fan. And what we're seeing now is that using a sauna about four to seven times per week is associated with a dramatic risk reduction for early mortality, for Alzheimer's disease, for dementia, for stroke, and even for high blood pressure which is a risk factor, of course, for heart disease, dementia, Alzheimer's disease, you name it. So this is massive. And when we sit in a sauna, one of the mechanisms by which saunas work their magic is that they actually act like an aerobic exercise mimetic. If you put your fingers over the radial artery in your wrist, you'll see actually that your pulse goes up to a beats per minute that's akin to what it would be at if you were to say, take a light jog on the treadmill. So just by sitting in a sauna, experiencing that boost in your heart rate, very, very beneficial. We also sweat and by sweating, sweating is a major route of detoxification for many of the 
endocrine disrupting chemicals that we're now bombarded with on a daily basis for heavy metals and things like that. So I'm a definitely a big fan of, of thermal exercise, both at the cooler end of the spectrum, as well as the hot end of the spectrum. I agree with you. And, and it's the contrast that is so important because you started off by this, this particular area of our discussion by saying that we keep everything too constant. So it's the changes in the where you get very cold, get very hot. That's really good for us not to have just one constant temperature. Well said. I mean, we all love our comfort zones, right? But that's one of the double-edged swords of modern life that we spend too much time in our comfort zones. We don't like to break a sweat. We don't love to exercise. We can order food on our smartphones and have it show up at our doorsteps. It's really affected people's health. And we, you know, we're going backwards. People are dying younger now than they from preventable lifestyle diseases. And it's a lot of the things that you're talking about, the modern way that we're living is, is a contributing factor. So it's really important that we address these things. So I'm really pleased. I'm thrilled with your book. I think it's fantastic. Max, you talk about, you mentioned it already, and I'd like to dive in a little bit more. What are the toxic industrial chemicals that are disrupting our hormones and brain function and fat storage and sexual development in children, including the surprising sources inside our homes? And what can we do to reduce exposure and purge what you've unwittingly accumulated? Now, you already indicated that the sauna is a great way of doing that because you can start sweating that out. But can you talk about the chemicals. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a whole chapter in the book where I go into all of the most common of these endocrine disrupting chemicals. There's an organization that I became familiar with and I follow their work closely. It's called the Endocrine Disruption Exchange. And it's an organization really dedicated to raising awareness and tracking commonly available or common endocrine disruptors that we're exposed to on potentially a near daily basis. And there are about 1,400 potential endocrine disruptors that they've identified that your average person may or may not be exposed to on a daily basis. Say that again. How many is that? Say that again. 1,400. 1,400. Wow. Yeah. And these range from bisphenol A to bisphenol S to phthalates to brominated flame retardants to fluoride to heavy metals. I mean, there's just so many compounds. The overall burden of toxicity for the modern human has just become overwhelming. And my goal is not to fearmonger. The relative doses of many of these compounds are small, but because there's just so much in the modern environment that we are now accumulating, and there's a lot of uncertainty about the doses at which these compounds can have an effect in the body. I think it is very much worth your time to be aware of where they are so that you can minimize your exposure to them and also give your body the chance to purge them when you do things like sit in a sauna. So some of the most common ones that I talk about are phthalates and bisphenols. And I say bisphenol because consumers are aware of BPA at this point. But what manufacturers have done, they've created this chemical, it's like a game of chemical whack-a-mole. It is. <laughs> right? Like consumers become aware of one of the compounds, manufacturers scurry to get it out of their wares. What they replace these compounds with are usually not all that different from a chemical standpoint, occasionally even worse, and with less data on them. So this is definitely happening now on a widespread scale with BPA. It's being replaced with BPS and BPF. BPA also were very commonly exposed when we handle store receipts, when store receipts are printed on heat-sensitive paper. So you want to be very mindful of touching store receipts, and especially if you're touching store receipts and then you are holding the hands of your children, for example, because endocrine disruption as adults could influence our predisposition for certain diseases like cancer. It could 
affect brain function. It could affect libido, sexual function, fat storage, hunger levels, glucose tolerance, and things like that. But if you are exposed as a child to a strong enough dose of these endocrine disrupting chemicals as a child, they can have potentially lifelong effects. So you really want to be careful. And all those will affect how you're thinking as well. It'll affect you. It'll have a definite impact on your mental health as well because it's a toxic cycle that's set up. You know, I'm so glad you're talking about this. And I've been in this field for like, honestly, 38 years doing brain-mind research. And I spoke about chemicals. I remember, honestly, Max, about probably 30 years ago, giving a talk and talking about the dangers of chemicals and people getting angry with me and saying, what? That's ridiculous. And talking about the mind and the brain and the mind changing the brain and these lifestyle things. And so I've watched this progress from the 80s to now. The chemical awareness just there was nothing. They just increased and no one wanted to know about it. And now there's this on the other side where people are saying, hey, we can't ignore this anymore. So I'm so pleased that you're writing about this and speaking about this. Yeah, I think it's super important. It's a balance. Like You don't want to have your life run by paranoia. But I think that there's a degree of awareness that I think most of us don't have. And so that's why I think it's important to be keyed in on this stuff. And I love what you just said now, and you said it earlier on, I love this approach that I'm hearing from you, which is let's have an awareness, but let's not become obsessed. You know, let's be careful of, let's be aware of eating healthy, but let's not become obsessed with the calories and the carbs. Let's be aware of the chemicals, but let's not become obsessed. Let's be aware of the exercise and not become obsessed. I'm hearing you say awareness and getting a nice balance. Is that how you're feeling in terms of just in, with everything in general in your approach? Absolutely. And I'm glad that that idea has emerged because that's kind of how I live my life. Like I indulge just like anybody else. And I, when I'm traveling, if I'm at an airport and I'm thirsty, yes, I'm going to buy water in a plastic bottle. I'm a human being. I'm far from perfect. But that being said, just the right degree of awareness, I've been able to maintain a body composition that I'm very happy with. I go to the gym and I'm, I look athletic, even though I'm not at all an athlete. <laughs> I exercise on a daily basis. I eat a healthy 90% of the time, but I have these indulgences with the acknowledgement that I'm an N of one sort of anecdote here. But my goal really is to be an example for people and to show that you don't have to be obsessed to really have the body that you deserve and to feel as good and as energized as your biology can allow. And it doesn't take being obsessed. I mean, on social media today, You'll see a lot of people in the fitness community, they're counting calories and they're tracking their macros and they're tracking their workouts and things like that. And there's definitely a time and a place for all that stuff. I mean, if you want to get lean enough to enter a bodybuilding composition to the point where you can see veins in your abs, yeah, you're going to need to become obsessed. But that's not what most people want, right? I don't want that. I want to have a body that I'm proud of. I want to feel good. I want to be healthy. I want to feel mobile and not have pain. And I think all it takes today is just awareness and a few simple things that you can integrate into your day to really get the most bang for your buck. And then once you have those, those low hanging fruit tended to, then you can get a little bit more granular. Then you can like bring supplements into the mix and tinker here and there with other modalities. But generally speaking, it's the basics that are going to have the biggest wins in terms of your health. I love that. That's so important what you've just said. And just saying that is going to help people feel less stressed and anxious about the whole, I've got to eat healthy. I've got to be careful of chemicals. And on the note of, of stress and anxiety, we know that stress is good for us. We all know that, but toxic stress is not. And we know anxiety is a signal, but toxic anxiety that's not managed and we don't listen to those signals can become a problem for us. So what are some ideas, because I know you addressed some of this in your book. What ideas for de-stressing, including like social media, managing social media addiction, which is such a hot topic, as we know, along with some techniques to help you get the best 
kind of management of, of toxic stress and anxiety. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up social media. Social media, it's a double-edged sword. It's not universally a problem. I mean, certainly I'm very grateful to my followers and the fact that social media has allowed me to have the career that I have. I mean, where would we be without it? But it is stressful. It is stressful because it's people present these hyper-curated versions of their lives. And if you don't have the kind of mental fortitude to be able to see through these posts, it can lead to a lot of people feeling kind of crappy about their lives. And I think it's important to to foster a healthy relationship with social media, to not use it as much, and to build into your day time spent without the phone at arm's reach. When the phone is around, it exerts a gravitational pull on our attention. It's a good way of describing it. <laughs> yeah, it does. And it influences how we relate to one another. It influences how we communicate with one another. It influences how present we are. I mean, earlier in this episode of your show, we talked about how just having your smartphone around, just having it around can actually make you put on weight, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's a really good idea for de-stressing is controlling that social media and that message is getting out there so strongly with everyone, which is really good. Any other ideas for de-stressing, especially like maybe talking, you because know, we all know we need to sleep and we all know the benefits of sleep and it's like a major thing. But when people are very in a very toxic stress state, it does affect their sleep. Do you have any tips to help people with getting better sleep? Sleep is just so important. It's really the master regulator of our hormones, of how good we feel the following day. It's important for brain health, for mental health. Generally, the tips that I have for sleep, you want to make sure that you're getting good quality bright light into your eyes in the morning. I mean, it's kind of odd to think about a morning routine that's going to influence sleep later in the day, but getting good quality light first thing in the morning, super important. And it doesn't have to be direct sunlight. You could be standing by a window. It could be an overcast day. The light emanating from the sky, even on an overcast day, is sufficient to anchor your body's circadian clock, which is going to positively influence your sleep later on. This becomes more important. Also, as we get older, there's a coloring that occurs typically to the lens of the eye that makes us less sensitive to ambient light. And so whereas a 10-year-old might need to spend a half an hour in daylight to have the same circadian anchoring effect, if you're in your 60s, you might need to spend an hour exposed to daylight. So just being mindful of the fact that light is crucial as a way of anchoring your body's circadian timer, that's something that I think is really important. Let me tell you about my secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of non-fiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. I love Blinkist because in less than 15 minutes, I feel like I can fast track my path to a more intelligent and informed and healthy me. I use Blinkist as part of my daily brain building morning routine, which helps really boost my mental health throughout the day. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Dr. Leaf. Try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. The link will be in the show notes. That's a very good point because you talk about how modern life has messed up this ancient timekeeping system and it goes haywire. And so if we can try and you giving us a great tip on light 
in the morning, preparing for sleeping at night is part of our whole timekeeping system. So sleep is linked to timekeeping and we can mess it up with our modern life. Exactly. Yeah. And part of that is the exposure to artificial light in the later half of the day, which can mess up your sleep. So it's about getting good quality light earlier in the day. And then by being really mindful, another area to be mindful of the light that we allow to enter our eyes in the later half of the day, which can trick our brains into thinking that it's daytime when it's not. And that suppresses the hormone melatonin as a result. And melatonin is a sleep hormone. We all know that. But it's also involved in DNA repair. It's an antioxidant and chronic suppression of the hormone melatonin with artificial light later in the day could actually be a root cause of certain cancers and even aging itself. Melatonin helps repair DNA damage. So just being really kind of mindful and making sure that you're not exposing your eyes to light that's too bright in the latter half of the day. That's amazing. That's a really good tip for, for helping. So it's like preparing. Sleep is a preparation. Prepare for sleep when you wake up in the morning and light is a massive part of it. That's what you're saying. Well said. Yes, that's what I meant. Very, very good. While we're talking about light, let's talk about how our disconnection from the natural world is a source of trouble for our internal system as well. You offer some ways to minimize damage from like air pollution and getting vitamin D, you know, all that kind of stuff. So can you talk about that? Absolutely. I mean, getting out and exposing yourself to nature, this is just really important and there's really no way around it. I mean, I grew up in New York City, so my exposure to nature, I didn't have much save for the occasional excursion into Central Park. But we know that the human animal yearns to be connected to the natural world. And nature is a great way to experience those variations in temperature that I was talking about earlier. It's a great way to allow your eyes to expand out to panoramic view, to a panoramic vision, which can actually de-stress you in and of itself. I uh, interviewed a brilliant neuroscientist by the name of Andrew Huberman, who taught me all about this, that when our eyes are focused in sort of a narrow pinpoint mode of operation, it can help stimulate our body's sympathetic or fight or flight nervous response. Whereas when we just allow our eyes to kind of zoom out and expand the larger landscape, which we would do if we were out in nature, it actually uh, relaxes the body and calms us down. That's a really great way of explaining that. Yeah, it's super important. Getting out into the sun, crucial, as I mentioned, for anchoring our body's circadian rhythm. The vitamin D that our skin produces is very important for having healthy levels of blood pressure, for having a healthy inflammatory response to help reduce inflammation. And yeah, I cite research showing that, I mean, it needs to be replicated, small study, but vitamin D may play a therapeutic role in multiple sclerosis, in Alzheimer's disease, in certain autoimmune conditions. And getting vitamin D from the sun is always going to be the safest way because the skin will naturally create as much vitamin D is as needed and degrade the rest. Whereas if you take a vitamin D supplement, which I think taking a vitamin D supplement, there are definitely instances where that would be a great idea. It's possible to have too much vitamin D if you take it with a supplement. So I think getting out and spending some time in the sun without burning, mind you, burning is not good. Of course. But getting that sun on your skin, the sun is medicine and we need to get it every day. And the fact that we now spend 93% of our time indoors means that many of us are not getting the medicine that we need. I mean, there are a few potential reasons that have been proposed, but our collective deficiency of vitamin D is one of the reasons why I think we're seeing autoimmunity rates skyrocket along with any number of chronic diseases. This point is coming up everywhere. So it's something that people need to pay attention to. And this getting back into nature is just simple, but such a valuable and practical tool. So I'm really glad you mentioned that as well. You have talked about 
temperature and the power to activate the heart and the different temperature in terms of you gave a lot of reasons for how important that is. Can you talk about that in terms of fat burning, the changes in temperature, not just having one temperature? I just wanted to talk about that in terms of fat burning as well. When we're cold, our bodies activate what's called brown fat which is a a metabolically active type of fat. It's actually a good fat. It's a fat that we want to cultivate more of. Brown fat functions sort of like an internal heating pad. It burns calories to keep our internal vital organs warm. And all you need to do is to expose yourself to even mildly cooler temperatures to experience this sort of internal heating pad coming on. As I mentioned, that cooler temperatures can boost insulin sensitivity which we know is very important. Brown fat can boost our metabolic rate. In fact, when brown fat is activated, non-shivering thermogenesis, which is the generation of heat at a level, at a temperature where we're not even shivering yet, can actually account for up to 30% of your metabolic rate. Being not afraid to get cold once in a while, or even on a regular basis, I think is very beneficial. One human trial showed that immersion in water that was 68 degrees Fahrenheit nearly doubled the subject's metabolic rate. 68 degrees is not that cold. I regularly will jump into water that's 50 degrees just because I I love it so much. And immersion at 57 degrees Fahrenheit increased metabolic rate by over threefold. And we want to increase our metabolic rate. Very important. Absolutely. Wow, that's amazing. Let me ask you a little couple of specific things. You wrote an interesting article on collagen, and it seems like it's the next big thing in health, in the health and wellness space. Can you share on what collagen is and why it's important and how to get the best sources of collagen? Yeah, so collagen is a, it's not a complete protein, so you shouldn't really count it towards your daily protein needs, but it is very concentrated in an, an amino acid called glycine. So one third of the collagen protein is actually glycine, and glycine is anti-inflammatory, it's involved in the production of our own collagen in our body, which is makes up our skin, our nails, keeps our arteries flexible and elastic. It's uh, super important. We consume about two grams of, of glycine every day and our bodies synthesize another two grams of it, which for that reason makes glycine not an essential amino acid. But nonetheless, research calculations estimate that our needs for glycine for good metabolic health and longevity are probably at about 15 grams per day. So I always recommend the consumption of collagenous animal parts, but most people aren't going to aren't really going to do that. So that's where I think that a good collagen supplement can actually be beneficial. And I want to be very clear, I don't have any financial affiliation with any collagen producing company or anything like that. I genuinely think that it's a very worthwhile product to take, especially if you're an omnivore and you consume lots of muscle meat, which is generally what most people who are omnivores consume. Today's episode is brought to you by Organifi. I recently started adding Organifi Pure to my water first thing in the morning to get my mind and brain ready for the day. Organifi Pure is infused with lion's mane and coffee berry and was designed to improve brain function by promoting gut health. This stuff really works. Since the gut contains the enteric nervous system, it's considered the second brain. Pure was designed to give clarity to people's lives by improving both brains. Plus, Their coffee berry is clinically proven to increase BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Some benefits of Organifi Pure include increased mental clarity and focus, improved memory and alertness, improved digestion, and more. Organifi Pure is USDA organic, 
gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, vegan, non-GMO with clinically proven ingredients and is 100% organic whole food. Get 15% off your order of Organifi Pure today with the code DRLEAF. Just visit Organifi.com forward slash DRLEAF and use the code DRLEAF at checkout. The link and offer details will also be in the show notes. Okay, that's really good advice. Back to where we were in the beginning, you were walking through your book and you've shared so much already from your book. But I know that there is a practical side as well where you kind of put it all together and you talk about like what genius, maybe if you could just give a little bit of advice on that section of the book, because it includes tips and advice for the listeners to help them understand what genius foods are and what we should be eating and how we should be eating in order to boost our not only our brain health, but when you boost your brain health, you're boosting your mental health. So eliminating that brain fog and being just generally more at peace and leading healthier and happier lives. So could you talk about that from your book? What the latest research is showing on the relationship between diet and depression is that the closer you can get your diet to a whole foods-centric way of eating, the healthier you're going to feel, the healthier you're going to be, and the better your mental health is going to be. I cite research from Deakin University's Food and Mood Center, primarily the SMILES trial, which has really been one of the best studies that we have to date, that show us that when you take people who are depressed, even with clinical depression, and you put them and they're consuming a junk food diet and you put them on a diet that is composed primarily of whole foods, that a significant proportion of them actually will see an improvement in their symptoms almost to the point of remission. This might not be the case for every person with depression, but it's certainly worth a shot. That's what I implore people to to try to do is if you're depressed, try eating the genius foods, try following the dietary recommendations that I make in the book, and you may see a significant improvement in your mood as a result. That's such good information. Thank you so much. And you've got a whole program where it's week one up to week 21, where you help people to start getting into this sort of genius food awareness and changing over time. Yeah, absolutely. That's all going to be in the book, The Genius Life. And what we do is we start, there's a plan section in the book. And week one is really building the fortitude so that you can make these dietary changes because dietary change is difficult. It's not easy, but it becomes exponentially more difficult if you're stressed out, if you're not sleeping well, and if you're under the influence of endocrine disrupting chemicals. So within the first week, that's what it's all about. It's about optimizing stress, even meditating. You know, I offer a meditation in the book. It's really a all out war against chronic stress, doing what you can to minimize sources of chronic stress. And then weeks two through three, yeah, it's more about focusing on food and really ridding the ultra processed foods, foods that are even marketed as healthy uh, that you might be surprised to know are actually quite unhealthy. And then restocking with nourishing foods that are going to help give your brain the specific compounds that it needs to be at its most optimal. And that's from your latest book, The Genius Life, Heal Your Mind, Strengthen Your Body and Become Extraordinary. Max, this has been incredible. Last question I have for you. I've got lots more, but we'll make this the last one. We'll have to have you back again. What are some of the current trends in the health and wellness spaces that you are the most concerned about and ones that you're the most excited about? Man, well, I'm very excited that people are now taking ownership over their health and they are showing initiative when it comes to getting healthier, to doing more exercise, to really engaging around this topic of fitness, which I think we're one of the first generations to really embrace this on a, on a wide scale. So I'm very, very excited about that. And what doesn't excite me so much are these warring factions that you'll see in the nutrition space. 
space, whether it's the carnivores or the vegans or the whatever, like the low carb, the low fat. I don't really have a dog on either side. I try to promote balance and common sense. And I do promote the consumption of both plants and animal products because I think it makes the most sense from an evolutionary standpoint and from a scientific standpoint. So always being able to and willing to challenge your assumptions and your beliefs and making the choices that are going to be the best for your health and for the health of your loved ones as well. That to me is what it's really all about. That's what I call living a genius life. Mm, I love that. And I totally agree with you. That's I agree with your assessment of the good and the bad of the current wellness trends. Totally agree with you. Max, where can people find out more about you, your work, your books, your podcast? Yeah. So definitely pick up The Genius Life. You can go to geniuslifebook.com or you can grab it at Barnes & Noble. You can grab it on Amazon. I also have my own podcast called also The Genius Life. So definitely come over subscribe, check me out over there. And then I'm also very active on Instagram. And my name there is Max Lugavere, M-A-X-L-U-G-A-V-E-R-E. And we'll have all of those details in the show notes as well for everyone. Max, thank you so much for your time and your insight and your wisdom. It's been so interesting. You've given us a lot of very, very good information. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Caroline. It was a real pleasure to be on your show with you. And thank you to all of your wonderful listeners as well. Thank you so much. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then... I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.